We all want to belong. We all crave relevance. We all seek purpose. We fill our lives with more. We chase more money, more friends, more experiences, more stuff. We hope in institutions and sporting icons and technology and fame. Perhaps what we need is less about more and more about less. In seeking one thing, everything else falls into place. We pursue the one who never fails, fixing our eyes on what lasts, putting the first things first. Welcome to Cross Point, and so glad that you are with us today. And we say that everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect, and with Jesus, anything's possible. And that's so true. We, we believe that. And so we want you to know today that you are welcome in the love of God. I know it's possible that sometimes we can think, well, everybody else is welcome except for me. And uh, that's why we say that nobody's perfect, because we are all broken. Um, every person is, is, is broken, and every person is welcome in the love of God. So if you don't hear anything I say the rest of this message, you need to know that God loves you, and that, uh, that He's in pursuit of you, and that He desires for you to have a relationship with Him. And that's why we say that anything is possible, because with Jesus, truly anything is possible. So whatever you need from Him today, whether it's peace, or whether you need hope, whether you need a sense of, uh, of connection with him, an encounter with him, maybe there's a miracle that you're praying for. We'd love to pray with you in that. And so I want to welcome all of our campuses, especially our ladies joining us at God Behind Bars. We're glad that, uh, that you're with us today. We're in a series called, called First Things First, and we're talking about uh, how we don't get to order our lives like at a restaurant, but we do get to order our lives. And the most important decision that we make in life is what we put First, it's what we put first. And it's powerful when we put what is first in the universe, when we put it first in our lives. We experienced that in our worship when we sang, Great is thy faithfulness. There was that moment where we were just singing, Great is, I won't do the rest, I won't, but you know, you remember, you were in that moment, and we were all singing, Great is thy faithfulness. And, and we weren't singing, Great is my faithfulness, we were singing, Great is thy faithfulness, because it's because of his faithfulness and his love that we find mercy and we find those new mercies. And when we were singing that song, it was like when we worship, we experience his peace. When we worship, we, we encounter his presence. We prioritize his presence. And something happens when we worship. We experience it when we pray. Have you ever been praying with somebody and you, you experience, you sense God's power? Or maybe that was that moment when you obeyed him and where you did the thing that he was prompting you and leading you to do, whether it was to give or to, or to serve or to love somebody else. And in that moment when you did that thing, you could sense his, his pleasure. It, it's in those moments when we're, when we're following him and when we're loving others and when we're worshiping him, when, when we're making what is most important in the universe, and that's Christ, we're making that most important in our lives. That's first things first. And, and the scripture tells us that, that Jesus is first in the universe. Listen, listen to the scripture. I'm going to read I just I want to go to the scripture. We don't have it on the screens. I just I just felt prompt to, to share it with you. It's in uh, Colossians chapter one. It says for this. No, we don't want to do that. We're going to go first verse 15. That's what happens when you when you just follow something that's not on the screens in your notes. Sometimes you go to the right. And they're all good scripture. Uh, but this one was the one I was thinking of. 
Verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." And if you're an amening kind of person, that's a good place to say amen. What God is saying to us, he's saying that Christ is first, that he is first in the universe. And so what happens in our hearts when we make Jesus first on the thrones of our lives, what's happening is we're aligning our inner world with what is true eternally. We're aligning our lives with what is true in the universe and that Jesus is first. And listen, he's going to be first in the universe, whether he's first on our hearts or not. But when we say, Jesus, you are first, when we take those moments in worship and prayer, and this is why we encourage, let's, let's start our day with, with first things first. Let's align our hearts with the reality that Jesus is first. And this is why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's a scripture that we looked at last week. We started the series. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so Jesus is talking with the disciples who have left everything to follow him. And they're like, what are we going to eat? And what are we going to wear? And how are we going to pay the bills? And look at the J.B. Phillips translation. He says, so don't worry and don't keep saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? That is what the pagans are always looking for. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Set your heart on the kingdom and his goodness. And all these things will come to you as a matter of course. Isn't that good? He's saying, you don't have to worry about all those things. He says, set your heart on the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is God's rule and reign. It's his power and presence. It's his sovereignty and his activity in the earth. It's that God is always working around us all the time to redeem and to restore. And it's an already kingdom in that Jesus came to declare the kingdom of God is here. And it's a not yet kingdom in that he is returning and one day he will make all things new. And so we live in already in a not yet kingdom. And so God is moving all the time all around us to reconcile people to himself in Christ and that other people would experience the love of Christ through us. And he says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. But sometimes we don't seek the kingdom of God because we get caught up seeking our own little kingdoms. There was a Croatian theologian named Miroslav Volf, and everybody needs a Croatian theologian in their life. And he said this, he says, the main temptation is not to reject God outright, but to embrace God as something secondary and use God as an instrument for our own ends. Let me go through that one more time so that it can go through us. He says, the main temptation is not to reject God outright, but to embrace God as something secondary and use God as an instrument for our own ends. And so what happens is we end up building sandcastles on the beach that are temporary rather than building into what's eternal and what lasts forever. There was Thomas Merton said it this way. Thomas Merton said, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. 
one more time. People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So this, this series is an invitation for us to just take inventory of our lives and of our hearts and just begin to ask questions like, is the ladder leaning on the right wall? Are we building into the things that matter most? Are first things first in the order of our lives? And so last week we talked about priorities, and today I want to do a, just kind of a double click on that again and talk about values. I want to talk about values. The question is, like, what do you value? Like, what, what matters most? What are the list of values in your life? You know, you can ask somebody what they value, and companies have values up on the wall, but if you really want to know what a company values, look what happens in the hallway. If you really want to know what somebody values, all you got to do is hang around with them for about 48 hours. Because you can tell what people truly value by the way they talk and by the way that they spend their money and spend their time, by what they put on their calendar. Our calendar tells a story of our values. Of what we, so we can say we value one thing, but if we really want to know what somebody values, all we got to do is look at their life. What does God value? I mean, don't you wish you could kind of follow God around for like a 48 hours and just kind of see what God values? And the, and the beautiful thing is that's what we have in the Gospels. If you're new to church and new to faith, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these four books at the beginning of the New Testament are these gospel accounts, these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And Jesus said it this way, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you want to see what God looks like, look at me. So if we want to know what God values, maybe, not, maybe, maybe we've heard a lot of different things about God in our, in our lifetime, but if we really want to know what God values, if we really want to have right theology in thinking about God, Jesus is perfect theology. When we look at the life of Christ, we see what the values of God truly are. And so we follow along in the Gospels and we see what Jesus values. We see some things. Jesus values communion with the Father. He prioritized communion with the Father. He sneaks off, sneaky Jesus, early in the day. He sneaks off away from the crowd and he gets away. He gets away with the Father so that God, so that the Father could provide for Jesus things that only the Father could provide. And so Jesus would be filled up being with the Father, and then he, he prioritized community and relationships and friendships with the disciples. Jesus prioritized, he valued people, especially the people that other people undervalued or overlooked. The people who had been marginalized by the religious system of the day, Jesus valued them. He sought them out. Jesus valued doing the Father's will. We see he values doing the Father. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. He valued pleasing the Father and following his will. He values love and grace and truth and mercy and forgiveness and sacrifice and creation. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So if we want to know what God values, we look at the life of Jesus and we see the kingdom, the, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, his righteousness. This is the value system of heaven. What does heaven value? We see it in Jesus. So he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus wanted to talk with us a lot about, about values for us to understand our values. So he would tell stories called parables. And Jesus would tell these stories so that, well, I'll tell you what, when my kids were little, I used to give them an option at bedtime. And I would say, do you want a book or you want a story? And they would, they would oftentimes say story. Most of the time they would say story. And what I started doing was I started using their middle name as the main character in the story. And so I'd tell them a story and use their middle name because I wanted them to see themselves in the story. 
And Jesus tells these parables so that we would see ourselves in the story, but we would also see that the story is bigger than us. That we would see ourselves in God's story and so that we would also see who God is. So we would see God in the story as well. And Jesus would tell these stories and he would hide spiritual truths in these parables. He would hide them in the parables for us to find. There's a proverb that says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, the glory of kings to search it out. And so Jesus would hide these spiritual truths inside these stories so that we would find like a like a father hides Easter eggs. You know, when a, when a dad hides Easter eggs, he doesn't put them on top of the house. He puts them down low on the ground so the kids say, listen, God's not hiding things from you. He's hiding things for you. And so in these parables, and in, he's not hiding things from you so that you can never find it. He says this. He says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek with all your heart. What God knows is that we seek out what we value in life. And so through us valuing the kingdom of God and through us valuing relationship with God, through us seeking to know Christ and to make him known, he says, if you seek me, you will find me. God is not playing games with you. He loves you and he, want, he delights in being found and he delights you in finding spiritual truths in these stories. And so one of these stories is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 34. Matthew chapter 13, verse 34. I mean, it's just, you can get it down to 140 characters or less. It's tweetable. But it's powerful. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, back in those days, they didn't have commercial banking system. And so if they wanted to, if they wanted to, to, to save something, what they would do is they would actually hide it. And especially in times of occupation or war, they would hide it from invading forces. And so they might hide it in a field, hide it in a cave. And so because they didn't want it to be found, and sometimes these treasures would be left for generations. So the picture here is imagine this guy going along and he's plowing or one, they're plowing, plowing this field and they, they hear a thud and they're like, well, that's something. And so then they go down and they begin to dig down in the ground. They begin to dig and they're like, what is this? And then they open up and they're like, it's a treasure worth a fortune. So in that moment, they're like, what? I mean, this is like, it's an exciting moment. Find, find a treasure. We're talking millions, right? They'd probably be like, what? You know, like another octave. And so in the, find this treasure and thinking, this is it. This is it. And, but what that person knows is that if this treasure belongs to the person who owns the field by law. And so in order for me to have this treasure, I got to buy this field. So that person then goes, the plowman then goes and sells everything they own on Facebook Marketplace. Every just clearing house just sells it all, gets the money and goes and buys the field. And when they do it, they do it out of joy because they know what's coming because they found the treasure. And so what Jesus is telling us, he tells us this story. So we see, listen, that's not a foolish thing. That's good math. That's good business. What's going on here? It reminds me of a quote from Jim Elliott. Maybe you've seen this quote before. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so what Jesus wants us to know here is that, that Jesus is the treasure, that Jesus is the treasure. This is actually from his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can take that down. I want you to think about, think about that, that what Jesus is saying to us here. He's saying this, he is the treasure. 
that Jesus is the treasure, that he is the treasure in the field, that he is the one that we, that we found. And that when we find Jesus, we find the one that's greater than anything this world could throw at us, better, greater than wealth, greater than, greater than popularity, greater than fame, greater than success, greater than achievement, that Jesus is greater than anything that this world could throw at us. And that he is worth everything. And so when we find him, when we find his unconditional love, when we find his irresistible grace, we find that Jesus is greater and we're willing to trade all the other things for him. And our value system becomes ordered by the value system of the kingdom. And in the kingdom, the king is greatest. And that we can have a relationship with the king. It reshifts and reorients our entire lives. We find his mercy and his peace and his purpose, and it changes our lives. Well, Jim Elliott found that, and it changed his life. He wrote that in his journal that we saw. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He wrote that in his journal when he was 22. And then a few years after that, compelled by the love of Christ and by the treasure he found, he went to Ecuador because there was an unreached people group, a tribe there that had never heard the gospel. And he went there to go with a team, to go share the gospel with that tribe. And in his first encounter of that tribe, um, they ended up taking his life and the other missionaries that were with him. And his family and the family of the other missionaries were so compelled that that tribe know Christ that they built a relationship with the people who took their lives and the rest of the tribe. And now, to this date, over half of that tribe knows Christ. And... When we say anything's possible, anything is possible through the love of Christ and on mission with God. And he wrote that in his journal as a 22-year-old. He found the treasure and he found that it was worth giving his life for. See, what we sacrifice for in life reveals what we really treasure. And he laid down his life for that. There's another interpretation of that parable, and it's that you are the treasure in the field. That Jesus is the one who found you and you were worth giving everything for. And so he gave his life for you. Scripture says in Corinthians, it says, it says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. In Hebrews, it tells us that you, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That you are treasure. That you are worth Jesus laying down his life for. He gathered up his disciples the night before he went to the cross. And he said, greater love has no man than this. Then he would lay down his life for his friends. Powerful verse on a Memorial Day weekend where we can remember that what we value in life are the things that we sacrifice for. And Jesus, the only one who was ever without sin, laid his life down for us. Not when we had it all together, not when we pulled our stuff together, not when we were living just right, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus demonstrated his love for us. You can tell what someone values by the sacrifices they're willing to make. So the question is, like, what, do you, what do you value? And there's something about seasons in life that are just like the milestones or the transitions in life that cause us to reevaluate and even clarify our values. Like this past weekend, we had a graduation time around our house. We actually graduated um, two students. We graduated Bolton, our youngest, from... Um, from eighth grade, he's getting ready to go into high school, and, uh, and we graduated Camden. Um, she'll be our second graduate from high school, so she graduated this past, past weekend from uh, Friday night. She graduated from high school, and it was um, I, it's one of those moments. I, 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 I love it 
for her. Like I am, I was so excited. I just, I, I am that undignified Ric Flair dad. Woo, you know, just yelling out in the stands. But on the inside, I'm having an existential crisis. I mean, I'm watching what's going on and I am overjoyed for Camden and for her accomplishment. But inside there's this like this low grade sadness. I'm like, she's not little anymore. And so I'm watching and all the other names that are being called are just like background music for all these snapshots of her life and her story. And I'm just like, and so I'm overjoyed for her. But at the same time, I mean, there's something about those milestone moments that are clarifying in our values. It's like um, earlier in the week, I was I was working on the back porch at like eight in the morning. Camden said she got to exempt finals because she was a senior. And she, um, she came down and she said, I'm going to Starbucks. And I was like, you're going to Starbucks? Can I go to Starbucks? Can I go? I'll buy you Starbucks. You need anything to eat? I'll buy you something. I mean, it's like in that moment, I just wanted to be with her because I understood that those days are kind of counting down. And when you realize that your time is limited, you tend to make better choices with the time that you have. It's why um, as part of our a child dedication service, we take, we take a jar, and you can illustrate this with a jar of marbles, and it's like we take a jar of marbles and we give it to families when they dedicate their children just to symbolize so they can get a visual for how many weekends they have before that child graduates high school. So from birth to high school, you get 936 marbles. That's how many weekends you have from birth to graduation. And then when, uh, when your child starts elementary school, this is how many Saturdays, this is how many weekends you have left, 646. And when a child starts middle school, this is how many Saturdays, this is how many weekends you have, it's 364. And when a child starts high school, this is how many Saturdays you have, 208. This is how many we have left with Bolton. And when they graduate high school, this is how many they have. That's the most depressing picture I've seen today. Let's just take that down. Let's just, we can lament together. And so I've heard it said that parenting is a journey of losing your marbles. Sid, that's how it feels. And when I see that picture, I just took some time. It doesn't mean that things are done. It just means that things are different. Still have influence, still have time, still have opportunity, still have relationship. It just means that things are different. And when we begin to count down our time, we begin to, well, we begin to live in a way that makes our time count. It reminds me of a prayer in the Old Testament. It's from Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. It's a prayer of Moses. It says, teach us to number our days that we gain a heart of wisdom. That there is wisdom that comes from, from number, our, number our days, from realizing that our days are limited, so we want to make better decisions that, with the time that we have. And sometimes we can see pictures like that or images like that or thoughts like that, and it can make us feel a sense of regret or a sense of remorse. Listen, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that things are done. It just means that things are different. And so we can, have, we can have grief, we can have sorrow, and at the same time, we can have joy and we can have hope because God is a God of reconciliation and God is a God of redemption. And when we say anything's possible, it means it's because anything's possible with Christ. And so it, all, it means that while there are things, it's like Paul said, forget what's behind and press on to what's ahead in Christ Jesus. But I think, like, the question I'm having is, like, why is it that we have to think about the end of our lives and that our time is limited to make different decisions? I read an, or an interview with uh, Dr. Alman Nichols. He was a professor at Harvard. And in the interview, he said, I teach people who are just starting out. As Harvard students, they're all bright to start out with, and they often have talents and interests that they are actually pursuing. 
But early in the semester, I asked them, what's your goal in life? And invariably, they answered to be successful. So I asked, what does that mean to you? And their answer has some relationship to fame and fortune. But then he offers the students another framework. He says, I tell them that we all have a lifespan of about 30,000 days, and we spend about a third of that time sleeping. That means we have a waking lifespan of about 20,000 days. And then I say, if you had 20 days left, what would you do with them? And they universally answered that they would spend that time working on their relationships with family and friends, and if they're people of faith, with their God. When we understand that our time is limited, we tend to make better decisions with our time. We tend to make decisions that are more congruent with our values. And so why do we have to think about our last days to truly begin to think about first things. And my hope is with this series that it would give us all an opportunity to just go back and just to reflect and think, is the ladder of our lives leaning on the right wall? Are we building into the things that are eternal? Are we making decisions with our time that's congruent with our values? Which leads to another illustration that's, um, that involves jars. And, and, and for this illustration, I've seen this illustration before. Stephen Covey, seen Andy Stanley give this illustration. It's a great illustration. If you've seen it before, just, just hang with me and let's, uh, let's watch it again. Let's just think again about this. If you've never seen this illustration before, I hope it's one that, that you won't uh, forget. Because this jar represents, with these pebbles, this jar represents time. It represents our time. And this could be a day, this could be a week, it could be a month, it could be a year, it could be a season of life. Um, this jar represents, represents time, but for right now, let's just talk about it being, representing a day. And these pebbles represent the things that we do in our lives are just for fun and just enjoyable. Aren't, what we would all agree aren't necessarily essential for our success. And so we all have those things in our lives, whether it's, um, whether it's Netflix or um, Snapchat, Instagram, you know, social media, whether it's shopping, Maybe Amazon, some of y'all are like, I'm into track, I'm into tracking my packages. I mean, that's like, some, Amazon could be shopping online, maybe another store that you like to go to, maybe driving around looking at cars, driving around looking at houses. Listen, these aren't like, these aren't like bad things, they're just not ultimate things. And so there are the also things that were just like, maybe it's that second round of golf, you know, they were just like, they're not the things that, that are essential to our success. Maybe it's staying at work too late and spending more time at work than we need to. But these are, these are the things in life that maybe we just go, you know, I'm not, not willing to uh, give up. Maybe it's hanging out late with, with friends. I don't know what the things are for you, but we all have things that we do in life that aren't essential, that are fun, enjoyable, that we just don't want to give up. And then I think we could all agree that there are things in our lives that are, that are essentials and things that we want to put in our lives that we know that we need to do in our lives and things like if, if you've got kids, your kids, um, you're married, Spouse, let's see, like your spiritual life, you got work and school, you got friends and community, you got to exercise and take care of your health, attend church, worship on the weekends, and uh, volunteer and volunteer in ministry. And so, what we see is that all these things do not fit. And so, what we try to do oftentimes is cram all these things in our lives. And we go, there's just not enough room for all the things. And so a lot of times we feel overwhelmed and we feel challenged and we feel burdened and we feel anxious because we try to cram so many things. And no matter how we try to make them fit, they don't fit in the time that we have. When these are all important things, but 
but essentially that when we change the order of things, when we take these things and we take church or volunteer and find a ministry, find a place that we can make a difference or our spiritual life, and prayer and reading scripture, exercise and health, kids, time with our family, spouse, relationship, marriage, work and school, need time to study, keep studying, unless it's summer, take a break. We need those friends, community, and relationships. And then what happens if we put all those things in, then we begin to add in And right now I'm praying, God, let this work. Please help this work. And some of you are thinking the same thing. <laughs> like, it's going to be a little bit nervous. Right now, what are you feeling? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and this was a Netflix show. You don't even need that. So you got that. Got that. It's the little things that feel so accomplished. What was different? We put the big rocks first. And it's first things first, and all these things will be added. That the ingredients didn't change, it was just the order of things. And sometimes you can think about this, you're like, man, this would be a great beginning of the year message. (laughs) Like, let's start January with this message. But we started thinking going into the summer, what about when the pressure's off? Because rest, time with the family, travel, those things, are, those things are important. But what if we use the summer to go first things first? What if we use the summer as a time to practice before the season starts, before the fall? What if we use the summer as an opportunity to go where we could look back on our summer and go, you know what? It was more than just a bunch of pebbles. That I made a difference this summer. I was able to see God move in my life and through my life. That you were able to see what God could do through you. That through the summer, you go, I got the first things first. I I practiced getting the big rocks in first. Because the reality is, all of us have an enemy. And Satan, Jesus says, Satan, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your hope. He wants to destroy your life. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. That Jesus wants to give you a full life. And a full life means more than just overstuffed. (laughs) That's not what it means. He wants you to live fulfilled. And a fulfilled life comes from putting first things first. Putting first things first. And so I want to encourage you this summer to say, okay, it's practice season. Practice season, putting first things first in our day, first things first in our week, first things first in the summer. And this week, um, re- I was like, hey, there was a ministry opportunity with one of our ministry partners as a church, and we were able to go as a family, and it was incredible. And it was incredible because we were able to um, serve together as a family, and we just like, we, we took out two rocks with one, one, one night, and so we kind of batched it. And I was just thinking, man, when we serve with friends, and we serve with our group, or we serve with our family, or we serve with community, it's powerful. And some of you maybe are wondering, well, how can I find a place to serve? You can go to crosspoint.tv serve, and we've got opportunities with our ministry partners. If you want to make a difference this summer, if you go, I want to put first things first. I want to order. I want to get the big rocks in first. You can find one of our ministry partners and find an opportunity to, uh, to serve with others. And if you don't have anybody to serve with you, the beautiful things about these opportunities, it's a great way to get to meet some other people. 
It's a great way to build those relationships in that community. So I want to offer that up um, for you. And just thinking what we can do, because we don't know how many marbles we have left. We don't know how many days that we have left. None of us know. But we do get to choose the order in our lives with the days that we do have. And so I want to hand things off to our, to our campus pastors at our location for a prayer there. And I would love to take a moment and pray with you. Let's pray together. Just with your, with your heads bowed before God, I want us to do just a moment of, um, of kind of an internal audit. And just ask the Holy Spirit Just ask him, what are the big rocks that I'm neglecting? What are the big rocks that that you want me to put in first? God, I pray for those that today maybe feel a bit of Remorse, maybe a bit of regret. I thank you that, like Paul, he says, I forget what's behind and press on toward what's ahead in Christ Jesus. I thank you that our past does not define us, but that you are God of hope and of reconciliation and of healing and of wholeness. God, I thank you that you still bring dead things to life. I thank you that in Christ there is now no condemnation, but that you, that you can still work miracles. God, I pray that you would give us a vision of what life looks like rightly ordered. And then, Lord, I pray that we would see, God, as we seek you first, as we put first things first, that we would see in this summer. God, we would see you work miracles in us and you work miracles around us. And that we see that we can trust you with all the other things. God, where we're worried, where we're anxious, God, would you meet each heart with your peace? And that as we put first things first and we order things according to your kingdom, would we see up there come down here? Would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love to pray for you. If there are people, if you, maybe you're gathering, you need prayer today, we're going to have our prayer teams down front. We'd love to pray for you. I invite you back next week for the next week of First Things First. See you then.